Spooky, huh? Welcome to St. John and welcome to the continuation of our series called Paranormal, The Other Side of Faith, as we deal with those things that uh, Christians accept, perhaps even struggle with, but which non-believers say you would have to almost be crazy to believe what you people believe. In fact, the Bible calls us peculiar people. You know, the normal people are the people who don't have faith, who deal with everything on a rational level. We're dealing with things that God speaks into existence by the power of his word, by the inspiration of his spirit. And so they do seem a bit strange. We're addressing them straight up. Like last week when we talked about somebody coming back from the dead. That seems almost impossible to believe, but that's core, that's central you know, to our belief. In fact, if you did not hear that message, you're online or, or maybe you're in the audience today. I encourage you to go back and listen to the reasons for faith and ultimately the power of God to bring faith into the heart of each person. Let's pray for this message. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all the assembled hearts prove acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, today we're going to talk about supernatural ability and God's empowering of individuals, God's empowering of common people to do uncommon things. We're going to be doing that on the basis of Acts chapter 2. But when I think about supernatural ability, my mind immediately goes to comic books. You know, there's been a phenomena in the last 10 years in America where filmmakers have been turning comic books into movies. Have you noticed that? You know, all kinds of different movies. I mean, from Batman to Superman 1, 2, and 3, and I think there were several Batman movies that were made. There's the Avengers, there's Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2, Thor... The Wolverine, not sure who that is, but I've seen some trailers. He has some kind of claws working for him. There's Captain America with his shield, and there are new people being introduced all the time. What struck me was uh, on my MSN homepage, and my uh, computer, whenever I open it, goes to MSN homepage. And uh, there was a a title there uh, that I hit because I'm always interested in what's going on in the culture. And, And the title was this. Ten comic books that demand to be made into a movie. I mean, they demand. I mean, the world is going to be a lesser place if these comic books are not turned into a movie. You know, the first time I went to one of these, I thought, okay, you know, a little bit of nostalgia for me. You know, I grew up when, you know, the Batman show was on TV, come home from school, and it had all those, you know, bam, pow, wow, you know, uh, impositions on the screen, you know, technology isn't. It wasn't then what it is today. And so it was a bit of a nostalgia for me. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And, and then I went to the next one. And I thought, wow, this is, this is interesting. You know, the way they bring that story to life. And maybe the third time I thought, incredible, the special effects they do here for Spider-Man. You know, as he moves around the city because this is a real person and, and uh, how they must harness them. So I began to think about the technology of it. And about the third time I quit watching the film and I started to look at the people in the audience. And I thought, what is wrong with you people? You know, just... Seems uh, a bit absurd. I mean, there are people who are moved from fascination to obsession with this stuff. I mean, grown people. I, I know people with earned doctorates who can't wait for the next Iron Man movie to come out, you know. By the way, this is opinion here. You can boo me if you like, you know. 
not got into the Bible yet, you're entitled to disagree with me. You know, and, and, and as, I, as I read these internet stories, I'm always interested in the blog remarks that are at the bottom. And, and this one was from Lord Z. Now see, I would just like to do a study of these people and how they choose their names. Lord Z says, comic book heroes attract our attention because they have many problems of their own. They make mistakes. They have feelings like we do. Because of that, they are more human and more realistic. It tells us it's okay to be flawed because so are our heroes. Wow. So that's what Lord Z says. Uh, Mad Benny. Mad Benny says, uh, we all want to believe we have something really powerful on our side in our corner. It's all about good versus evil. And the good must always prevail. The world is kept right side up when they intervene in crisis. In some ways, our superhero is like the hand of God presenting the rule preventing the rule of evil. Okay, all right. So he believes in these people, and they're actually saving us from evil in the world. You know, for me, and and this is just for me, I have always found real stories much more interesting than fiction. In fact, my youngest son uh, one time was looking to enroll me in History Channel Anonymous. You know, he just just thought I had an obsession with, uh, with history. Uh, true stories of people who changed some aspect of the world. And I'm not even talking about world leaders. I'm not even talking about people who did things that, that matter all that much. I'm just amazed at common people who are able to uh, do uncommon things, break through in their own fields, uh, accomplish their goals, their dreams, do things that nobody else had done before them. I'm not positive, but I think it's possible that uh, I probably have read more biographies, more autobiographies, uh, than probably 90% of the people who are hearing my voice or this message today. You know, last year alone, Carol will tell you, uh, next to the couch uh, is a stack of books about this high. And it, it grows instead of diminishes. You know, I, I give books away anymore. I can't keep them all. Uh, but uh, there's a stack of books there. And, and often while we're watching a program in the evening, I'm, I'm multitasking. I'm often reading. And she'll ask me what just happened in the, in the uh, TV show. And I say, well, I don't know. Let's back it up. Because <laughs> I'm not paying all that much attention. But, you know, just in this past year or so, I, I read an autobiography. Well, not an autobiography, but a biography of Daniel Boone. I read the book called Voices of the Pacific, which was a true story of how the Marines went in and, and uh, changed the course of the war in the Pacific and Guadalcanal, Iwo Jima, and some of the other island battles that they fought. Uh, right now I'm reading a book called Mr. S., which is written by the right-hand man of Frank Sinatra. Like I said, these aren't all game changers, but they're interesting people. They've accomplished something incredible. They made something of their life. I read the true story of, uh, of uh, uh, Ray Charles. In fact, I've given it to some, some of my band people because, you know, fascinating story about how this, you know, kid who uh, became blind at a very early age went on and made breakthroughs uh, in his culture. Charles Krauthammer's book, Things That Matter, in Andy Runo's autobiography, Art Bookwald's book, Leaving Home, the true story of the last mountain man, just because I was fascinated by a guy who lived like it was the 1800s, even though it was not. Uh, read The Secret Six, you know, the story of the spies who uh, infiltrated the British military during the Revolutionary War and gave information to Washington. Read both of uh, Bill O'Reilly's books. I know he's written more, but I, I read Killing Lincoln. I read Killing Jesus. Fascinating book. You'll get a lot of perspective on what was going on in the Roman culture, the Jewish culture that's not contained in the Bible by reading Killing Jesus. He's not so accurate when it gets to the Bible, but 
I'm, I'm willing to trust maybe his history of Roman uh, times is better. Uh, the code breaker, the guy uh, from a small farm town in Midwest who broke the Japanese code and, and helped us understand what they were planning during World War II, or ghost soldiers, or the true story of the American Secret Service. Boy, they've got some stories to tell about presidents, let me tell you. I'm fascinated by people who live an intentional life. Because I think it's unusual. I don't think that the majority of us, I wouldn't even say a significant minority of us, actually lead intentional lives. You know, I think most people are more like the the ball in the pinball machine that hits this and gets kicked over here and hits this and gets kicked up here and gets slapped with a paddle and we're just always in reaction mode as opposed to actually living an intentionally focused life. You know, these are not all Christian people that I just mentioned and I don't just read Christian books. I'm just fascinated by the fact that an intentional focused life, God has has placed in the heart of, I think, of, of each of us, the ability to do something noble, the ability to have a breakthrough moment, you know, in whatever field that you may be endeavored to engage. And I think if that's true just about the general population, and I do believe it's true, I just don't believe most people live that way, I think then what would be possible and what could be accomplished by God's power with God's assistance or just the confidence that comes from having faith that we are loved by God and we are his children. And he has these plans to prosper us and not to harm us. I mean, just that mindset alone, a mindset of faith, could transform the world. That's why I believe that those who are hearing my voice today, whether they be live streaming or whether they're here today or last night or in the later service, I believe it's possible that there may be a person in here who has it within themselves to to solve these tremendous challenges that our culture is facing, like autism for young people. It's growing at an exponential rate. You know, one of you has the ability, perhaps, you know, to discover the reasons for that and maybe turn it around. Same with Alzheimer's, which has kind of become the plague of our older generation as we live longer lives. More and more of us are experiencing that kind of challenge. Or what about discovering the key to the social change that would stem the tide of violence in our inner cities. I mean, it's amazing to me that we don't even report it much. I mean, we'll report the death of a couple of soldiers in Afghanistan, and, and, and we probably should, but more people are killed in St. Louis, more people are killed in Chicago every weekend than die in those battlefields, and, and yet we're not focusing the same kind of attention on those issues. Or maybe the breakthrough... That, that I think every church is searching for in terms of how to reach teenagers with the message of Jesus Christ. You know, Chris Toomey was over here. He just came up and, and did the announcements. I believe that the guy who figures that out or the gal who figures that out, and by the way, I love this guy. I, I believe in this guy. I think he's got the right heart for this work. And uh, I would encourage you to gather around him, lay hands on him and pray for him because I, I think it's within him maybe to be that guy. Because I know churches that are twice our size who struggle with this aspect of ministry. I believe they'll write a book about the guy who figures that out. And, and it's not uh, necessarily a program because it's more of an attitude. It constantly is a moving target. But what an important and powerful thing to do. Or the guy who discovers or the gal who discovers the key to affordable and renewable energy. You know, this is not just optimism. I'm believing that God has the ability to empower you to do incredible things. 
to his glory. You know, as Christian people, humbly giving him recognition for what he has accomplished through ordinary people. And the truly great people do that. When you compliment them for what they've achieved, they, they're almost embarrassed because they know that this is something that God has done. Well, today we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, uh, God's empowering uh, Holy Spirit that was sent upon the early church. Uh, it's actually a story of Pentecost, which we're about 40 days away from. Uh, but because of the series and, 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 and our de- desire to deal with paranormal activity, we thought we'd go ahead and tackle it today. So Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. I'm going to refer to Pentecost and how it got that name because it was Pentecost already in the Jewish culture. We'll get to that later. But from Acts chapter 2, let's read the, verse, the first 13 verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. It was one of those Jewish holidays when people came from great distances into Jerusalem. That's why there were people in Pentecost uh, from every different nation. They were coming to celebrate in the temple. They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire, you know, depicted on our artwork here, that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them in that room were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Called the gift of tongues many places in the scripture. I think this reference and also many other references uh, identify it not so much as holy babble, but as an actual language because it could be interpreted. And as we'll see, people understood them who actually spoke those words. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came rushing in. And they were bewildered. They were, they were uh, just confused by what they were observing that was taking place. Because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these people speaking Galileans? And the Galilean accent, we know even from the story of Jesus, was kind of like a Texas accent. I mean, even among Jews it stood out. Uh, Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Just thinking about that for a moment, we'll get back to this, but just thinking about that for a moment. Can you imagine... Uh, in these obscure villages in northern Turkey and in Greece and in Macedonia, when, when Jews from Palestine came and spoke the exact dialect of those people, they must have said, this is strange. We've got to listen to this guy. I think it was a very important, miraculous, powerful tool that God gave to the apostles uh, to have an ear in these strange cultures where they went to visit. Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors also from Rome. Both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. They weren't just talking, they were talking about God. They were bringing, using their supernatural gift to bring glory to God. Amazed and perplexed, amazed, awe, but also confused. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they're drunk. You know, they've had too much wine. A couple of takeaways uh, from this section, these first 13 verses. Reasonable people, 
are limited to anticipate reasonable outcomes. Reasonable people are limited, and the key word here is limited, to explain things in reasonable ways. You see, those people who had not faith, those people who don't believe that supernatural things happen, that God can enable people to do uncommon, paranormal things, think only in terms of what is reasonable. Now, because they did not know the language, you know, if they were Palestinian Jews, uh, and they heard people speaking, it just seemed to them to be Babel. And they've heard Babel before. And you know where they heard Babel? Was when people drank too much. And so they said, these guys are just drunk, not realizing that something supernatural was going on because they had no capacity to believe in the supernatural. They can only imagine what is possible in human strength or in typical human behavior. But God's people, by contrast, Christian people who understand and believe in God and know that he interacts in our world, always anticipate God's help. We can anticipate God's help. Now, I'm not of a mind that believes by sheer faith and by making demands and, and, and focused prayer, we can force God to act in a way that we desire. I'm not of the name it and claim it mentality that if we name it and we believe it enough and we get enough people to believe as we do, then God's hand is forced and he has to do what we want him to do. No, I'm not talking about that. I don't believe that's true. I believe that God is wiser than us, like a parent is wiser than a preschool child, and a child may stomp their foot, and a child may make demands upon the parent. A child may even believe that what they want is right when a parent knows better, and a parent will do what is right for the child, even if it frustrates a child. And so God deals with us as children. But I do believe that child should expect the parents to always be ready and willing to intervene and know that they have greater capacity than a preschool child. And, and so as a Christian person, I believe and I expect that God can intervene. And that he has miraculous ability. And so I live in expectation of the supernatural in my life. There are no limits to what may be achieved. In, in one of the cubes uh, in our children's ministry section upstairs in our office, uh, one of my staffers uh, has on her cube wall uh, this phrase. What would you attempt if you didn't believe it was possible that you would fail? What would you attempt if you knew that you couldn't fail? I love that attitude. You know, what would you attempt? What would you attempt if you believe that God can do anything and that God might do anything through you? Now, be sensitive to whether this is God's will or not God's will. Ultimately, that's the deciding factor, but... We know that God can do anything, and we live in expectation that I don't know how this will turn out, but I do believe that God loves me. I do believe that he has forgiven me, that nothing stands between me and his blessing because Jesus Christ has taken it to the cross. Amen? You know, so I'm totally acceptable in his sight, and I believe that he has all power in heaven and on earth. So what might he do? And I live in expectation of God's assistance. So first of all, God desires to empower those who are his people. Secondly, let's continue on with Acts 2, verses 37 to 41. Speaking about God's word not only being true, but also being powerful. Now, I think God's word being true uh, is pretty amazing in and of itself. You know, I encourage our staff always to be discerning readers. Whenever you read something, just understand it's coming from some person's understanding of the world and how it works. 
you know, it, it doesn't mean that uh, it's true. You know, is, is that true in our experience? Would that work for us? So be discerning always in reading. But with God's word, you can just know, you can count on it to be factual and true. But it's not only factual and true, it's also powerful. Let's continue reading with verse 37. When the people heard this, what did they just hear? Well, they heard Peter say, these men are not drunk like many of you have supposed. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And then he goes on to read or or recite by memory uh, words from Joel who said, in the latter days God is going to pour out his spirit and and your men and your women and your children are going to dream dreams and they're going to do supernatural things. He said, this is uh, what is happening in your presence. When the people heard him explain that, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, if that's true, what should we do? What does that mean to us? Peter said, here's what you should do. Repent and be baptized. Give up your old values. You know, turn away. That's what the word repent really means. Turn away from that behavior. Turn away from those values. Turn away from that faith. And accept, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Interesting, this isn't a point that I'm going to make today, but it does tell you what baptism offers. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and two, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Can't explain it anymore. Can't explain it any better. What, what happens in baptism? Your sins are forgiven. It's called a washing of regeneration in another place. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? The Bible says elsewhere, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So it creates faith. And it forgives sins. Powerful thing. Not because I have any power, but because God has attached this power to baptism in his word. For this promise is not only for you, it is for you, but it's also for your children. And it's for those who still uh, are far off. People who are far off in faith and people who are far off in uh, geography. Everyone that the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. In other words, repent, repent, turn away from the values and the beliefs of those around you. And those who accepted his message, they were baptized. They did have their sins washed away. They did receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. God's word is not only true, it's powerful. It has the power to convict. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, Paul says it's like a double-edged sword, more lethal than a two-sided blade, you know, that can cut uh, bone and marrow. He says God's word can cut the heart of a person. And and when we hear it, we resonate to it. And and this is true, and it, it, it should be affirming for Christians, and it should be troubling for non Christians. Because when you hear God's word, whether you know it or not, you are God's child. Amen. His first bill of rights on you is that he created you. You know, you weren't just an automatic response, uh, you know, to a, to a sexual activity of your birth parents. You know, you were formed in, in your mother's womb. You know, God caused your life to come into being. And, and because he is involved in your creation, there's something about your nature that when you hear your father, your heavenly father's word, uh, you either have to resist it and get your defenses up because it, it doesn't leave you alone. You know, it cuts to your heart. It has, it has the power to convict. 
Here's, here's what Jesus predicted about this day. And I, I believe that the best study of what happens when the Spirit is poured out on Christians, uh, whether in Pentecost or on us today when we're baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, is, is to read what Jesus said would happen as opposed to just study what did happen. Because he predicts, and, it, and it's a good explanation. In the upper room, he said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper of the Holy Spirit cannot come to you. But if I go away, then I will send him to you. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to convict the world. It's convicting. It cuts to the heart. They were cut to the heart and they said, what should we do? It will convict the, word con- the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because those who do not believe in me have to struggle with that. And concerning righteousness... Because I'm going to the Father and and I won't be here to teach you what is true. The Holy Spirit will teach you what is true. And as you read his word, you resonate to what is true. And he says concerning judgment because the day is coming when God will sit in judgment of the whole world. He said when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. In fact, he goes on to say the apostolic gift is that he will bring into remembrance all things and he will teach you new things. So this is what the Holy Spirit was about. This is what the Holy Spirit was doing. He's convicting, and he convicts me concerning sin. You know, back in the day when I was a kid growing up, you know, we went through the traditional uh, liturgy of the church, and and there was a prayer that was said every Sunday. Uh, Some of you will know it, and you could even mutter it under your breath as I say it. I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all the sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee, and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. Man, there's some Lutherans hanging out here. You know, and, and when I was first a pastor, which was, you know, back when God made dirt, uh, people used to object to that. I'm not a poor, miserable sinner. I say, well, then you don't know much about sin and you don't know much about perfection. Because no matter how much we've grown as Christian people, we fall short of God's glory. I would not stand before you and say that I don't still need to be convicted. You know, I still daily fall short of God's expectations. I fall short of Carol's expectations, let alone God. And uh, just have to acknowledge that. And, and so I need to be convicted concerning sin. And I need to come here and say, Lord, you know, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me. And know that God's mercy is not giving me what I deserve, but giving me his grace. It convicts. God's word is power. And it also offers solutions to life's greatest questions. It's powerful. I mean, it offers me solutions. I, I had a wedding yesterday. We have weddings here a lot. And, and uh, in one of the readings that uh, I usually share in the course of a wedding is, is to the husband that, that says, uh, you know, we know that God's word offers uh, counsel that leads to eternal life, but it also offers counsel that leads to benefit in this life because his word has a lot to say about this life. And there's power in that. I, I love the way David described it in the longest chapter in the entire Bible, Psalm 119, where he talks about God's word and how powerful it is. He says, oh, how I love your word. I, I try to focus on it. I try to learn from it because your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. Talk about power. Do you have enemies? Do you have people who wish you ill? Do you have people who want to watch you stumble? Do you have people who are, you know, uh, upset with you and mean you harm? God's word has counsel that makes you wiser than your enemies. It keeps you above the fray, for they are ever mine. 
It gives me more insight in my, than my teachers. Wow, I'm, I'm trying to learn from people who know more than me, but uh, knowledge is not necessarily wisdom. God's word gives me wisdom, and they can impart their knowledge. For your testimonies are ever my meditation. I understand even more than the aged, because I have observed thy precepts, and they have kept my feet from the destructive path. You know, that's what God's word can do. I, people should learn by experience. As they get older, they should be smarter, they should be wiser, but not everybody is. But those who study God's word can be smarter than even those who have a great deal of experience. You say, how can you get wiser faster? God's word has power to convict and also to answer life's greatest questions. Finally, let's wrap it up with uh, chapter 2, the closing verses, as we move to 42. And so, uh, in response to Pentecost, Christians in the first century devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, spent time with his word, fellowship, encouraging each other, hanging out together. Everybody needs that. Everybody needs affirmation. To uh, sharing meals together and to prayer. Fellowship with other Christians. Fellowship with the Lord as they were living in a world that did not accept or believe what they believed. And everyone was filled with awe. Everyone means people who were not believers who watched them. They were amazed. Uh, These people were first amazed by Pentecost. Now everybody who saw God working in them were amazed at them. And at the many wonders and signs that were being performed by the apostles. Remember I said, you know, God can enable you to do incredible things. All the believers were together and had everything in common. You know, it's not socialism, it's not communism. It's just an understanding that I'm a manager. I'm just a steward of what really belongs to God. And when I die, somebody else is going to own what I possess. And and so it's my obligation to use it to the best of God's ability. And, And I have that mindset about it. So they sold their property and their possessions, and they gave to anyone who had need. They weren't attached to possessions. They knew that possessions were temporary. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You know, these attitudes made them appealing even to people who were not yet in the faith. And the Lord added to their number because of who they were and because of how they lived. People were attracted to that. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Accepting Christ is not the end of God's work for you. Accepting Christ is the beginning. Uh, We uh, sometimes take care of our our grandchild, uh, you know, so that her folks can go out. It's to our delight and, uh, and to their relief. You know, interesting. Uh, and, and so it works out for everybody. And, and Cammie is a spoiled little girl for sure. And uh, so we take her through stores. She, she is already a shopaholic. And, and she doesn't have to buy anything. She just likes to look at things. And we went through a store the other day. And, and there was a, a poster in there that said, happiness is a journey, not a destination. Man, I believe that. I believe that your happiness, your contentment is knowing that you are on this walk with God in the anticipation of what he will do through you by his power should amaze you and should excite you about every day. I I said I would talk more about Pentecost. Uh, This happened on Pentecost because 50 days after the Passover, Jews were required to come to Jerusalem to present the first fruits. In other words, the first of their harvest and the first of animals being born in the spring this time of year. Uh, My neighborhood, I don't know about yours, is being overrun with little bunnies. Do you see that? And, and so they would bring the first of animals and they'd bring the first of the grain before the harvest had been received and they would give God thanks for what he was about to do. 
That was required. They would also come at the end of the harvest and give God thanks for what he had done. Do you see the connection? This is a harvest of souls, not a harvest of grain, not a harvest of animals. This was Pentecost, and God is about to pour out on the church the Holy Spirit that's going to bring souls, you know, thousands of souls to believe in him. You know, accepting Jesus is a beginning. It's not an end. And God's Spirit in their midst created these things. I don't know if you caught them as I read it from Acts chapter 2. It created wonder, amazement. It created unity. Christians hung together. They prayed for each other. Now, I know that we don't all agree. Raise your hand if you agree that we don't all agree. It's just human nature. But we're not going to be destructive of each other. Man, that is not from God. If you're tearing down another Christian or another church, that is not from God. You know, God is a God of unity. And they were amazed by the unity because they know how mean people can be with each other. So it created awe, it created unity, it created joy in life. And it created curiosity on the part of other people. Now, I want that for you. But my wonder, my unity, my joy, and my curiosity will not be dismissed. And it will not be diminished because you don't have those things. You know, because I, I, I received this from God. And it's just a great life to live. And, and if I live that life, I know that other people will say, uh, why is he different? And, and what about him is so attractive that I want that for myself? Well, uh, some takeaways for us, just, just four quick ones. Let me hit them fast. Is that reasonable people, people without faith, are limited to reasonable outcomes. That is not me. I'm not limited to reasonable outcomes. I'm this guy. God's people anticipate God's help. I'm excited. I, I don't know what he'll do, but I know he can do anything, and I expect him to do something. I expect him to even empower me, a very common person, to do extraordinary things. And he has, and I stand in amazement and wonder of that. Other lessons learned. A change of heart leads to a change of behavior. God convicts me, and he also directs me. What a powerful thing, you know, because I want to walk in a way that's prosperous. It's a way that also brings honor to him, but it's a way that prospers me. So he convicts me, and he gives me truth. Then finally, healthy things and healthy people grow. I believe that's true. You know, I'm, I'm a constant growing person, a lifelong learner. And, and I do believe that other people will be attracted to that kind of faith. And the church will continue to grow, you know, as we are growing as a church. And so many people, as the letter read earlier, are finding Christ in this place. What an exciting, what an incredible privilege it is to be a part of something so powerful. And to be used by God, though common, to accomplish uncommon things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being your child. Thank you for the honor of being your vessel. You pour your Holy Spirit into us to convict us concerning paths that are destructive and, and to guide us and teach us and to empower and to affirm and to grant us confidence to accomplish things beyond human ability. Thank you for allowing me to live uh, that perspective in a world that is not so honored. But, but through my uncommon accomplishments, uh, you can cause them awe, you can cause them wonder, and you can change their lives, and you can change uh, the life of those around me. Help me to be an encouragement to other Christians. Uh, help me to affirm them, and help me to receive their affirmation as well. Because we know that even when life is good, life is hard. But we are not without your recourse. We are not without your help. So bless us, Lord, that we might be a blessing. Thank you, Jesus. 
Amen.